Welcome to the Power Mom Minute. I'm your host, Stephanie Uchima Carney, and I'm a modern day business mama who believes you can have it all. This podcast is all about going behind the scenes of the lives and businesses of successful moms in business in order to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real life tactics, and favorite tools that you as a mom can use to apply to your daily life and business. It is my mission to educate, empower, and inspire moms like yourself to build your dream business while having the freedom and flexibility to enjoy life to the fullest. Power Moms, it's time to rule the world. Now let's get started. On today's episode of the Power Mom Minute, I'm super excited to bring to you Power Mom Erica Gray. Erica is the mom of two, an entrepreneur, a pharmacist, and the co-founder and CMO of Toolbox Genomics. I'll let her explain more what Toolbox Genomics is all about, but in a nutshell, it's a super cool genetic health services company founded by not just two female founders, but two mom founders with the goal to help people live their healthiest life by utilizing health data to provide personalized dietary and lifestyle recommendations to help reduce the risk of developing chronic conditions. On a personal level, Erica believes it's vital for women to create their own unique hacks to bring the best that they can be. And sometimes that just means delivering high quality hugs to their loved ones. I love that comment because considering Erica is one of the most down to earth and brilliant people I have ever met. Erica and I met recently at an event and we were seated at the same table. And the minute we met, we instantly hit it off and I literally couldn't stop asking her questions. It came to the point where we ended up having lunch and dinner, I think almost three days in a row. So without further ado, I welcome Erica to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. Yep, we did. I, it was like, do you want to eat again? Yes, let's eat again. <laughs> I know. We became like conference besties. <laughs> we did. It was great. So just to give us a little bit of background about yourself, tell us about your family structure, how many kids do you have, what are kind of the roles work-wise in your household? Yeah, so I have two children. I have a daughter who is 14 and a son who is 11, and my husband and our five chickens, two guinea pigs, and two cats. And so we've we've had a more uh, unique family structure because I went to pharmacy school and then my husband stayed at home and took care of our daughter, which then turned into our son, which then just turned into him staying at home and me working as a pharmacist. So we've really had an unconventional lifestyle. We also homeschool our children So they've had both parents at home in various capacities, sometimes both parents at home for six hours at a time. So I consider our family structure very unique, um, special, and it's been interesting for them as well. I still can't believe you homeschool two kids. You basically have a startup, but now is more mature. You are also, are you still a pharmacist? I mean, you're obviously still a pharmacist, but do you still practice? Still practice. Yes. Still part-time. And you do all that. (laughs) Yes. So when people say self-care, yeah. (laughs) They go, what's your self-care like? I say a quiet shower where I can watch, you know, a Netflix show. (laughs) And yes, my showers are longer than most people's and that's okay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, we'll go into that a little bit more later, but I wanted to get an idea of your, I guess, past life pre-kids and kind of what you did then, and then transitioning to being a pharmacist and then launching literally a genetic tech, basically startup. 
while having two children. And I mean, not many people just wake up one morning and say, yeah, I think I'm going to start a genetic startup. It sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Well, I also went to pharmacy school. I have a doctorate and I, you know, do all this. It's not very common, I guess, for a mom to do this. So tell me a little bit about the journey leading up to that. Yeah. So I guess it would have to go back to my parents because my mom homeschooled me and my dad um, has had his own civil engineering company. So I saw what that looked like, you know, positives and negatives, but they always encouraged me to do things that interested me. And so I remember being probably six or seven and being really distraught with the quality of dog treats that were out there. And I made my own healthy dog treats before that was a popular thing and sold it to the dogs, uh, training socialization group. And <laughs> how old were you when you did this? I think I was seven or eight. I was young. So serial entrepreneur for, serial from entrepreneur, a young age. Exactly. So I always loved the, the idea of getting to bring my own unique stamp to the world and solve the problems out there that I saw things got changed a little bit because as a 16 year old, I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And so that really got me into the foray of the medical world, standard of care. What does that look like? And standard of care ended up not working for me. I just had serial surgeries after surgeries until finally my OBGYN said, I'm not doing another surgery on you as they go in and they'll actually laser out the lesions if they can, the endometrial lesions. And it ended up being diet and supplements and natural progesterone that reversed the endometriosis. Wow. Did you think you were going to be able to have kids? I didn't know because everyone said it was really up in the air about that. Um, And I actually had someone say, well, you may only have one functioning ovary too, depending because of the scarring that can happen. Wow. So that really got me into the power of what medicine is, you know, like food is medicine, supplements, et cetera. But also there's this huge need and really a divide between what standard of care is and all of this alternative and functional medicine. And somehow we're not talking between the two modalities and they're both are really important. They have an important role depending on where we are in our health journey. So I went to pharmacy school with the intent of merging those two modalities And I ended up having this really great opportunity. I did not go straight to college. This is a story I forget to mention. Um, I actually traveled and worked for three years between high school and college. Oh, wow. Which was great because- Where did you travel to? um, Sumatra. And I worked with orangutans through Earthwatch. And I went to Madagascar and worked with lemurs. I wanted to be a veterinarian initially when I was a three-year-old because I watched Jane Goodall and just- (laughs) So you kind of wanted to be some sort of doctor, something healed healed beings. Exactly. (laughs) Healed beings, whether the animals or humans. And so that, and then I I spent some time in Europe. Uh, My family's Hungarian. And so I got to live in Hungary for six months and really had an opportunity to see what the world offered and also to figure out what really interested me as well. And so I feel like that helped keep that laser focus of, yes, I do want to go into health and what do I want to do with it? So my daughter ended up being born when I was almost done with my undergraduate degree. Wow. 
Yeah. So I went, so finished out my undergrad with her and then had our son in my third year of pharmacy school. So learning how to juggle family and school and marriage was, um, I hit the ground running there. And I definitely think having that time between high school and college and having to navigate the world and think for myself was incredibly valuable um, because there's a lot of things that we have to sort out and our brains aren't fully formed when we're teenagers and in our early 20s. I think they say our frontal lobe or front, the front, the frontal part of our brain where we have real um, executive function isn't fully formed for 25 or 26. So, <laughs> so are you going to let your kids then travel? If they're like, mommy, I want to go travel for three years. Would you let them? I absolutely would. I, and I would encourage it. I think it's a great way for you to have a very specific goal that you work toward, you, you know, figure out a job that's going to work for you. That's flexible and then pay your way and go do something, go see how other people live and what their philosophies are, because it's going to really be, I was going to say, I believe in other countries and living abroad, especially non-English speaking countries. Yes. I studied abroad in Spain for four months. And I mean, it was just a short time, but it was so life-changing to see the difference between, you know, our normal life here in America or California, and then going somewhere else where you don't speak the language, the culture's different, the food's different, and just having to figure it out. Yes. And, and I think you learn a lot about humanity as well. Just the amount of people who would open their doors to me or give me a ride and say, sure, I'm, I'm going there. I'll take you. And never expected anything in return. They just did it out of the goodness of their heart. It's such a wonderful thing to experience. So then flash forward to pharmacy school and you have two kids and you said you learned how to, you know, juggle and balance it all. What were some of, I think the key takeaways or key things that you really learned out of that? Like, what does it mean to have balanced it all or juggled it all? Or what things did you sacrifice? What things did you learn from it? So I had, so priorities. And again, I think we, we talk about that a lot, but it really you have to sit and ask yourself when you are presented with two choices, what or who always wins. And so my children always won regardless. So if they had to be nursed, um, which happened a lot during finals, I said, I'm not getting an A on this exam and that's okay because my children. need. But then there were times when they wanted me to go out to the park, but I really needed to finish this assignment and it wasn't a make or break thing. And so I had my husband take them out to the park so I could finish that assignment. And so I think it's, it's twofold. One of them is the long-term priority though. My long-term priority was I am finishing pharmacy school. I'm finishing it in four years, come hell or high water, but I am not going to aim to have straight A's and I'm not going to do a residency afterward because that would be an additional year that would require me to have additional dedication or diligence to my academics. And my children needed me around. And did you have any other childcare or was it just your husband at the time? Just my husband. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> so, and my family lives in, in Southern California. We're in Northern California. My, even though my aunts live, aunt and uncle live about an hour away. You, we were on our own doing mm -hmm. so much of it. So it's not like we had date night. So we did, so date night suffered 
I couldn't go out socially because my daughter needed to nurse all the time and she was a high needs child. So people would go out on Friday and Saturday nights and I didn't go, which, you know, did make me sad, but that was the choice I had made. And so when I was kind of having a pity party, I reminded myself that that was the choice. That was my intention. That's what I wanted. So I think one of the challenges for people is when what we want and what our actions are, are out of alignment, um, it creates a lot of angst and Mm -hmm. knowing that this is a phase in our, in their life. Um, as it is, my daughter last night said, Hey, are you and daddy going out for your anniversary? Because Orion and I haven't had a movie pizza night to ourselves yet. (laughs) That's so cute. And so there's the contrast, right? I, I, I kind of, we put in our dues earlier, but now, you know, we could go out for three or four hours. We don't need a babysitter and they'll be fine at home. And that to me is really exciting, but it's- Do you prioritize your relationship now? So speaking of priorities, do you prioritize that more now since things have shifted? Trying. <laughs> so I would say we prioritize the emotional connections, or even if it's just, um, hey, let's take a half hour and check in and talk between my husband and I. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to go out to dinner or go out somewhere. I we would like to do more of it, but I think always juggling the the financial aspect is harder. Um, so just trying to create high quality opportunities for us. And even if that just means staying up a little bit later and talking in bed, we do that. In general, it's just prioritizing your relationship. So it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, as long as you're together. Exactly. And you don't need to be out to do it is is the other part of it. And so I think you're just going back to what you were saying, as far as um, the, the things that got sacrificed is that there were times that I really felt like I was hanging on by a thread. And I had to remind myself that the exam's in two days. And as soon as I get through that exam, then I can breathe and I could kind of catch my breath. So I think we, you know, it's like I tell my kids, you look at the wall and it's this huge, scary monster um, and it scares you. You can't sleep. And so then when you, you know, open up the closet, you realize it's this little stuffed animal that's being projected onto the wall. Um, we just have to remind ourselves of that. What can I do to get myself through today, through tomorrow? And then I can just catch my breath and realign what those priorities are because we need high level priorities. And then we also need short term. What do I need to get through to the, in the next hour? And I Mm -hmm. think as moms, that happens a lot because crises, (laughs) it's survival mode. (laughs) It's total survival mode or perceived crises. I think that's the other thing with children is like, you know, their perception of life can be difficult as for us adults to say, well, that's not a big deal. Just settle down and move on. And also I would say high quality investments with your children pay off dividends in the long run. And so even though sometimes we feel they're super clingy and they're not giving us a break and my daughter nursed around the clock or so it felt, but I'm reminding myself that that is this one year of her life, of, of our life together is not going to translate into this is my entire lifetime. So let me get this where she needs to be to get us to the next milestone. That's good advice. Cause sometimes we get so stuck in it that we think like 
I mean, every day you wake up and it's like the twilight zone and you think this is it. This is what it's going to be like, but then it's only a phase and then they move on to the next thing. And yes, there is something else that happens, but it is a phase like it, life goes on and things get better or, you know, they, they shift. They do. And I think it's easy for us to get into routines. And when routines start to become predictable, they become boring. And when they become boring, we start to feel like our life doesn't have meaning or we're not moving ahead. And so even if it's a simple change of when I get up in the morning, I'm kids, I'm going out 10 minutes, I'm down the road, don't bother me. So I can just gather my thoughts that changes up your day. So you can come back and be a better parent, better wife. On that note, what is your morning routine or what is not even a routine? Because I (laughs) I don't like saying that. I always say morning ritual and I always say it can be 20 minutes or less because what mom has, you know, I think we've always talked about this. Like we don't have the luxury of two hour strong, ah, strung out long morning rituals because we just don't have that option. So what does your morning look like? So my morning is I get up and I check my emails and I know I'm not supposed to, and everyone rails against it. But what I realized is that because I prioritize the kids first thing in the morning, I need to know if there are any fires that I can put out right then or are going to be coming that I can deal with because that's potentially going to affect how I schedule the day. Um, then my big thing is I brush my teeth. I have to brush my teeth. Like that is just a number one <laughs> thing. And, and then I make my coffee and like those two things and making and really prioritizing getting dressed. Cause it's really easy for me to throw in a bathrobe and get going with the day, but I don't feel my day really starts until my clothes are actually on. So those three things are really important. And then I sit down and I actually do office hours with the kids. And this is a new routine that we started this year. Each child gets a half an hour to bring me their concerns. We discuss what they need to be accomplishing for the day, for the week. Are they on track with what they need to do? It's an undivided half hour that I don't let other things get scheduled over. Wow. And that's been really, really helpful. And is that like, not just about schoolwork, it's about anything just kind of like or what do you schoolwork? Okay. I mean, if there's time left over, we might touch on something else. But what I found was that I was keeping so much in my head and then just parceling it out to them a little bit. Oh, you have a Spanish class. Oh, you have a science class. And it drove them crazy. And so I didn't, again, didn't realize that they needed that structure and that overall look at their week. so that they could actually mentally plan. Because I think as parents, we go, you have nothing on your schedule. Sorry, kids, you know, you don't have dinner. You just show up at the table and clear your tape with your plate. That's it. And I really realized I was underestimating them and not delivering value to them by not giving them that, that information. Okay. So it's like a Monday morning meeting kind of thing. It is. It's a, yeah. Monday through Do you do Monday. family meetings too, or just office hours? We just do office hours. Okay. We do it Monday through Friday, except they each have a class that they have to leave for earlier in the day. So then they will miss out on office hours on that particular day. 
But what's crazy is that when we don't do office hours, they actually ask me for it. They say, can you please have it? I miss it. I need it. And so those things are really key. And the other one that has been a game changer is meal planning. So what people, I, I read about it, I poo-pooed it. And then they said, oh, and then you can meal prep and in just four hours, you will be all set for the week. And I thought, yeah, right. It takes me 12 hours. And now I just wasted my entire Sunday and this didn't help me at all. So here's the hack that I use. What I realized is that you're constantly making decisions and especially with children, you are having to not only make decisions for yourself, but for them and help think through their decisions as well. So it's like a double, triple whammy on our brains. And our ability to make decisions goes down throughout the day. And so by the time we hit the evening, we have decision-making fatigue. So if you then have to say, what are we going to have for dinner? It is, that's the thing that somehow I feel like it's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. And you're like, I don't know. Oh, we're yeah. just having pizza. <laughs> I, I feel you. That's when I'm like, um, honey, on the way home from work, can you pick up something from XYZ? And we end up eating out a lot because I'm like, I'm tired. I don't have time to cook. I don't, I didn't go to the store. It's like, oh, I feel you. <laughs> There's that whole list. So what I do is I try on a Saturday or Sunday, I, I do it on Friday before I go to the farmer's market on Saturday. I just say, what are we going to eat this week? And I pick out five recipes and I just lay them out. And then I will um, take look at our schedule and like, if we're going to be home late, then I'll adjust what it is. But knowing that we're going to have chili on Thursday night means I'm going to take out that ground beef Wednesday night, thaw it out. And so now I can actually put it in the Instapot or the slow cooker in the morning because I've already thought it through and it's not an additional burden that I need to think through. And that's been huge. I think for me, it goes one step even behind that is I don't even have the recipes. I don't even know what to cook. Like I can't even meal plan because I'm like, I don't know what what we want to eat. Like what, what sort of thing? Do you have any places you go to, to kind of get ideas or your favorites? Yes. So once upon a chef is a really, really good website. And the reason I love her website is because she, it's a whole myriad of things, but she'll tell you, this is simple and easy. And she will show you how she took a complicated recipe and adapted it. She gives you a visual of the ingredients she uses. I, I tweak some of the things that she does. Like she uses a lot of vegetable oil. And so I'll use either butter or olive oil, things like that. Paleo OMG is another one. Um, oh, I love her. Paleo. That's Julie, I think, right? Julie, Julie, Julie yeah. Bauer. She has some really good things. Um, Nom Nom Paleo. And then what great grandma ate. Those are my three go-to blogs. Okay. I'm going to have to write those down. <laughs> And, um, and actually, so here's another trick, challenge yourself, only go to one website and make your five meals from that one website. Do not go other places. Do not look at Instagram or uh, Or Pinterest. That's like the downfall for me. You just say, I am meal planning only from this particular website, five recipes. I have 10 minutes. Do it. Good. All right. And then when your kids are older, you give them the pile of recipes and you say, you pick what we're going to eat this week. 
I love that. What we started to do is I just subscribed to this service. It's a startup called Radish and it's like cooking for kids. It's really cute. And so Aww. every month you get like a little recipe box in the mail with like a cooking utensil. Um, and so my four and a half year old is like obsessed with getting a box every month. Um, we haven't really accomplished the cooking recipes, but <laughs> I promised him we would. So besides, I guess, like that routine and structure, what does your work routine look like then around that? Because a lot of this sounds like, you know, mommy stuff and kids stuff. Yeah. How do you fit in your two pretty big jobs? I mean, being a CMO and founder and being a pharmacist aren't exactly, you know, lightweight kind of roles. So how do you fit in work during your week? So that's why we had to do office hours was because I had to be able to time block. So the kids weren't constantly interrupting me. So then I just say for the next three hours, don't bother me because I need to do X, Y, and Z. That's where I wrote my husband in, you know, Hey, if they need help with math or whatever they need, I I'm not available. If it is, if they are calls, more like team calls, I might try to schedule them when I'm driving the kids around. And the other part of it is I have worked late into the evening on more days, months, years than I can possibly count. Because what I found was that my best work often happened after the kids went to bed. So after 9.30, between 9.30 and 12.30 was really a great time. So two, but two things to that. Um, meetings are really difficult because they take up so much of your time They're They tend to be during times that we're very productive just naturally. And so one of the things that I'm trying to push our team to do is actually have a day that's free of meetings. So you can really schedule and get your work done. The other thing is use your headphones and just put on some music so you can actually work because I think once we become parents, we do learn how to tune situations out and we can use that to our advantage. Like I have a half an hour, I have three emails to get out and I need to do it right now. We can actually use that deadline to our advantage. I feel really well. And also recognizing that sometimes what we think might take five hours when we have that time pressure and we're time box, we can actually deliver it in two hours as well. It's just like they say, air expands to the space that it allows just like time. Like if you're like, oh, I have eight hours today, you're going to take eight hours. But if you're right. like, I have one, you're going to accomplish it in one. And that's what I've learned too. Is like, if you give yourself a block, you accomplish so much more and you just don't realize it. So does this yeah. mean you work from home then? You don't have to go, okay. But for the pharmacy job, I do have to go in, but I work at three. So pretty okay. much the day I can dedicate the morning and most of the afternoon to the kids or the business. And then I also work every other weekend. So okay. that also helps offset it. And then if you know things are quiet, I can do a little meal planning or a, a little brainstorming. So in some ways it actually gives me that opportunity to just disconnect from the family part and, and get, get a clearing of the head. So now going back a little, my question, startups, I mean, having the idea for a startup, I mean, my husband's in the tech industry and I always have startup ideas and he always tells me, Stephanie, you do realize that if you want to do this, it is like a hundred percent dedication. Like you 
gotta just like put your like all in. I don't, I don't really think you have it in you to do that. Like it's, it's a lot of time. Like you have to say no to everything else. Like startups are no joke. You starting a startup, not only after pharmacy school, after two kids, what inspired you to do that? What, how did you make that happen? <laughs> My co-founder did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she, so we, we joked that the business started around a protein bar because I had created these custom protein bars for my dad, who's a carrier of the APOE gene, which puts him at a higher risk for Alzheimer's. And so the thing that we discovered through understanding his genetics and, and what you can do about it is there are certain foods and supplements that can really help support this gene so it doesn't go into the development of Alzheimer's. So I said, my dad's a foodie, trying to get him to change. Let's see what we can do. And so I've made these really good tasting protein bars. So wait, you made animal or dog treats and protein bars. I think you're missing out on a business idea here. (laughs) I think you should have gone into like, you know, the bar industry. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny because people will come back who tried our bars at the very beginning. Like, so when are those bars? Like, how's the bar business? Like, but the bars needed to go with the genetic test because we needed to do your test so we could tell you what bars to buy. And we had to <laughs> do all that work first. <laughs> they view it as two separate entities. So it's, it's really fun. Okay. And so I was giving out these um, bars to sample. And I said, how much would you pay? And I explained what the situation was. And I was working in the ER and she was an ER nurse. And she goes, wait a second. So what we're eating is changing the way our DNA is expressing ourselves. Yeah. She goes, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And she was getting her MBA at Berkeley at Haas Business. And she's like, okay, you, you got to do something with this. And I showed her all my research and what I was doing. And so the next thing I know, she says, uh, we have 48 hours to turn in an application for this kind of quasi incubator at Haas. And then we're going to go through this customer journey. Are you in? <laughs> And I, I liken this whole journey to being pregnant and having children, right? If everyone actually told you every single gory <laughs> detail, you'd be like, too much work. But you know, when they're born, they're helpless, you're like, oh, I can do this. I'm a little tired, but it's manageable. And so they, they so cleverly lead us into parenthood. Um, that before you know it, you're so knee deep in dirty diapers and dishes. And you're like, how did I get here? It's, it was the same thing here because it was just like one thing led to another. I was all, you know, she's like, okay, you have to be here. You have to do all these phone calls. And, and this is right before she had her daughter. And so I was like, oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm doing it. And then it finished. And she goes, and everyone said, you got to keep going. We're like, okay, we'll keep going. <laughs> So it was just like this little snowball that could and kept snowballing and snowballing. And before I knew it, I was like, oh my gosh, we have a CEO and we're hiring people and we're creating a product. And I don't even know what happened. All I know is I have this deliverable tomorrow. So I think, you know, in terms of, of doing it, I, I actually would rail against this idea that you have that the startup is your entire life. Because there are so many books out there on productivity and how we learn and how we work that we can, uh, like a lot of times we're spending it spinning our wheels, but we're not actually delivering something concrete. And in two hours, we can deliver a lot of value and that you know, it might take someone else 12 hours to do. And so I actually think as moms, we're used to multitasking. 
We're used to constant interruptions. And there's a certain amount of our architecture that enables us to do less, um, sorry, do more in less time. And also I was thinking about it. Moms have a really good ability to outsource or have like a community support. I mean, yes, we always try and do a lot of it ourselves, but we do have that like support system. And I think that's actually interesting in a startup. It's about your team too, Mm -hmm. having a good team that can help carry you. Absolutely. And having a good partner or spouse is also critical because you need to be able to say, can we drop everything I need? You know, this is what I need to do. But I feel like so much of the the startup culture, and even in Silicon Valley, if you are not putting in 18-hour days, you are not delivering. But if you're if those 18-hour days are just spitballing, which some people do in that time, are you really delivering a, a product? Are you really delivering value? Hey, and you see that because you're in the Bay, so you're close to that. <laughs> yes, and so I, you know, I. And I think also, you know, for example, I have a a webinar coming up next week. And so the thing that's been going through my my mind, even though I'm not actively preparing the presentation is, oh, this would be a really interesting point to weave in. Oh, you know, this, I think they would enjoy hearing about this. So I've already started crafting the story, the storyboarding in my head. So now when it comes time for me to do that research, it's going to be that much faster and focused because I've had some of that downtime while I'm chopping vegetables to get ready for dinner. Well, the question actually also is, do you think though that the timeline of when it came from like idea to conception and all of that was a little bit longer than say a normal startup just because of the other things in your life? Or do you think that you guys were basically on track? I don't, because I don't honestly know how long it takes an average idea, you know, to lead to the actual startup starting. I don't know. It seemed like we went pretty crisply. We iterated and changed our target market a lot. So I would say that first year, there was a lot of reinventing ourselves. You know, who are we going to focus on? How do we want to do it? Kind of normal though, business. Yes. Normal normal startup stuff. But I think there was a lot more clarity because both my co-founder and I knew ultimately what the goal was. We wanted DNA testing to be accessible, affordable, and to change the, the field of healthcare where, you know, we really feel that health starts with DNA. As soon as you know that, now we can start that conversation and we should always do it that way and be proactive about it versus saying, well, let's just wait until you have a complaint. And you come in right. to see us. That's why I love your product. Cause it's like one step farther than 23 and me. It's like, I get all this DNA information and then what? Okay. So I have a gene that might give me Alzheimer's. I have a gene that apparently makes me an Olympic athlete, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I have another gene that does something else, but you like, don't know what, what to, to do, do with next. it. It's like, yeah. it's almost like a fun Cosmo quiz that you take and you're like, cool, I'm done. All right. Now what? <laughs> exactly. And so that's, re- that was how the company started was that we said, well, this is great. And my parents looked at me they're like, okay, sweetie, what do I do? And everyone had that question. And so that's what, that's what toolbox genomics is. It's the, it's the answer. We're the genetic experts. So you don't have to be. I love that. You can take what we're giving you and actually apply it into your life. 
So now kind of an overarching question I have, starting a startup, going to school, raising a family, it's all financially expensive. So I'm a little bit curious um, to those moms out there. They're like, that's great. We don't have, you know, maybe a husband that can stay at home and watch the kids or we don't have that. How did you pull together resources in order to support yourself and your family through schooling, through launching a startup, all of that? I know you were probably working as a pharmacist at the time of the startup, but Mm -hmm. other than that, I mean, raising two kids if your husband was, you know, watching the kids, how did you support yourself? <laughs> I love this question. So full transparency, okay. student loans in, in pharmacy school, and I will be still paying them off when my daughter's in college. So there is that. And it actually, for again, transparency, you know, for example, when we went to go look to buy a house, when the economy was lower, we didn't qualify for a lot of homes because of the student loans. And they always look at your debt to income ratio. So number one, we have not purchased a house. We rent and my husband has some really good metrics as far as how much he's willing to pay and justify it. So that's number one, hand-me-downs and thrift stores for the clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the first time I took my daughter to Macy's and she said, mama, they have pants in every size because she's used to the thrift oh. store like oh sorry there's only one it's not your size moving on <laughs> oh. so we did not you know we paid off our cars my husband's really good at finding um, good deals on cars we do not drive new cars we have put our priority on food but you know shopping at places like Trader Joe's we do not go out to eat we do not go to the movies um, you know, we will watch things at home. So really learning what we can do together as a family that is not being necessarily fueled um, on the consumer part. Wherever we could, we've asked for scholarships or financial assistance, um, especially as the kids got older and in, into their um, more advanced choir or soccer. And then just the other part of it too is that, you know, for example, we didn't put them into kindergarten. We didn't put them into preschool. So there's a lot of free curriculum out there that you can utilize. Um, there's a great program called outschool.com that I love. And you, it's almost like a Groupon, but for learning. So huh. you can get them an art history class for $10. And so now you can expose them to these other options without having to drive them around and without breaking the bank. So in, you know, as far as trips go, we don't take as many trips as I would love too. So we've definitely made sacrifices and the kids will say, you know, so-and-so, gosh, so-and-so is a beautiful house. I wish that <laughs> we did. And, you know, I have to remind them that they have both parents around quite a bit mm-hmm. and they have their chickens and they have a gorgeous view and they have their own bedroom. So there's a lot of things that are, you know, to be grateful for, to be grateful for in the library. We've Mm. used the library a lot. You know, we did, they don't, they actually will not buy them a book off the shelf unless they have read it and they love it and they are committed to rereading it. Interesting. Well, speaking of books, (laughs) I wanted to bring up your daughter because she's 14 years old and she's releasing a book this week. So would you buy her book? 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You want to rent it from the library? No. no, I would buy it. And I'll tell you why, because it, she took um, me through the entire human emotion experience and I laughed out loud and, and keep in mind, like, I've been reading this book off and on and helping her edit and do all these different things. And when I actually went through and read it again, start to finish, I laughed and warmed up to the characters and she brought me to tears. There's this one part in the book. I was like, oh man, Kira, you got me again. And just it, it, and then left me with the warm fuzzies at the end. Where did she get the idea of writing a book? Um, she, she's always wanted to write a book. And so when she was eight and we moved into our house, she was super bored. And my husband said, you need to figure something out. And so she wrote the adventures of Superdog which is this cute little story about this dog and what he would do. And it was just these stuffed animals that she had. And she created the story around it. She's always wanted to publish a book. And so then she got this idea after listening to the Hoboken chicken emergency, of, you know, what, what would happen if you start thinking? So we love to anthropomorphize, I think as a, as humans. So we started doing that with the chickens and what would happen if you could actually understand what the chickens were doing? She feels chickens are, far more intelligent than people give them credit for. And she also trains our chickens and she's trained them to do a number of really impressive things. And so then it became, well, what if the chickens could actually type and had access to a computer? And what happens? That's and it's called prime mischief. And so if and you know considering today's okay. in the holiday season, if you think about prime and who who runs prime, I think you can <laughs> Put the dots together. So it releases. So when this episode comes out, her, her book, her 14-year-old daughter's book will be on Amazon for you to purchase. And she'll be so grateful if you download it and leave her a review and spread the word. I love it. So I'm going to close this off with two of some two of the questions that I ask kind of on every interview. One is, what is your mom's superpower that makes you a better mom in business? So what is a superpower you acquired by becoming a mom that you might not have had before that makes you better in business? Humility. I think, you know, just my kids have called me out and said, you dropped the ball. You said you were going to do this and you didn't, or just uh, knowing, just seeing what I've done as a mom and realizing that I, I can't do it all but I can put my best foot forward. I can apologize when I've done something wrong and bringing that same humility to the business that I don't know everything and I'm just going to do the best I can. And having that same compassion for my team also, if they mess up, if they miss a deadline, I can say, I, I get it. You know, let's, how do we fix it? That's good. And then lastly, what is one piece of advice you'd give to the pre-mom you? So this is to all maybe the non-moms out there or, you know, soon to be, or even moms who are launching a business. What would, what sort of advice would you give to the, you know, pre-you now? So remember motherhood is, has various stages in that it is physically demanding and I would say zero to six and then it becomes emotionally demanding and, and um, requires you to be very emotionally present from the time, probably 11 on, 
and re- recognize that this is a chapter in your motherhood resume. Because if you look at motherhood, it is 18 years. And again, plus or minus, we, I, I don't want to quibble about it. And yes, I will always be a mother. But 18 years, and if I live till 90, that means that you know, I have, was it 68, 62 years of not being an intensive mother. So really, it's a small time in my life to be the best person I can be to raise human beings who are going to go on and make this world a better place. And to me, that's I, reminding yourself of that when you're in the trenches can be really helpful. Oh, thank you, Erica, so much for sharing all your wisdom and your story. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Stephanie. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Power Mom Minute podcast. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for the episode and other goodies over at powermomminute.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Each week, I'll be reading some of those reviews on air. So stay tuned and you might just hear yours. Thank you so much again, beautiful mamas, and I'll see you here next time.